Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, we can uh, continue with our series, Walking with Jesus Through the Gospel of John. I see a few new folks here today as we almost every Sunday have some new guests and visitors. And we want you to know you're always welcome. Uh, but we've been working and walking our way through the Gospel of John with the intent and the desire to get a clear and accurate picture of just who Jesus really is. What he said, what he did, and how we should respond. Of course, the goal of this series is to become authentic and genuine followers of Christ. It's easy for us, even as longtime Christians, those of you who are longtime Christians, to develop some ideas or doctrines about Jesus or the church that may not necessarily be 100% biblical, just traditions or ideas. Well, we want to make sure that we're focusing on what the Bible has to say and giving us that clarity. So that's why we're going really basically verse by verse through this book. And today we're up to John chapter 12. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, 37 through 50 will be our focal passage today. And you'll see the title is, What and Who You Believe Matters. It's about belief and the importance of that. Of course, much of the book of John, John is trying to lay out all these signs and wonders and teachings of Jesus in order for us to believe. Lay the facts out there. Give us the facts so that we can then believe with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and confess him and receive him. So with that in mind, we have been watching a little video clip from the movie Gospel of John. So let's listen and watch this little clip. Kind of help us kind of get that personal uh, interactive nature of it. But let's watch this and listen to this one. Even though he had performed all these miracles in their presence... They did not believe in him, so that what the prophet Isaiah had said might come true. Lord, who believed the message we told? To whom did the Lord reveal his power? And so they were not able to believe because Isaiah also said, God has blinded their eyes and closed their minds so that their eyes would not see and their minds would not understand and they would not turn to me, says God, for me to heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Even then, many of the Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly, so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. They loved human approval rather than the approval of God. Jesus said in a loud voice, Whoever believes in me, Believes not only in me, but also in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees also him who sent me. I have come into the world of light, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. If people hear my message and do not obey it, I will not judge them. I came not to judge the world, but to save it. Those who reject me, one who will judge them. 
words I have spoken will be their judge of the last day. This is true, because I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has commanded me what I must say and speak. And I know that his command brings eternal life. What I say then is what the Father has told me to say. ministries that Jesus is doing during the very last week of his life. Just a few days from this time period, he was going to be put on trial, crucified, and killed. So it was uh, very vital for Jesus to do everything he can to help people come down to the very simplest, vital core of what they need to do. That's believe. Because if you don't believe, then you won't, won't do it. Because you see, what and who you believe truly does matter. Now, it's kind of sad as we look at this first verse here, uh, this one, one of the sadder verses in the scriptures, and there's actually two very sad verses in this passage. But this one, read it with me, please. Even though Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Now, isn't that pitiful? Isn't that sad? Why? With all things. I mean, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. He had given sight to the blind and, and healed the lame and, and you name it, just over and over and over. Voices from heaven, God speaking down. And they heard it. But they were so hard-hearted and distracted and satisfied with where they are. Some of you may know this, but uh, Benjamin Franklin was supposedly not a Christian. But he had a good friend, George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a preacher evangelist from England. And he was sort of like the Billy Graham of his day. This is the mid-1700s. And he came over to America and was very popular. Of course, Boston uh, was sort of the center of, of the, the, the nation at that time. And so George Whitfield and Benjamin Franklin struck up a good friendship. And, of course, you all know that Benjamin Franklin did all those newspapers and printed and, and was very active and vital in our early nation. Well, over 40 of the sermons of George Whitfield he, he published in his magazine. Twelve times it was on the cover but there is a diary that comes from Benjamin Franklin in his own hands, and he says, talking to the person who was kind of writing it down, he says, you know, George Whitfield prayed for my salvation for many years, but he never had the chance to see that prayer answered. Now, Benjamin Franklin had every opportunity, every amount of knowledge, intellect, and order to become a believer. But according to his own words, now maybe after that, hopefully he did, but it appears that he never made that decision. Because you see, he believed something, but he didn't believe the full truth. No matter how much you believe in something, you can be the most sincere person in the world. But if what you're believing in is not fact and truth, then it's just a waste of time. 
It's important that what we believe and that we understand why we believe. But this idea of unbelief, uh, we're going to look at this, address this one, unbelief and then incomplete belief, and then how we can avoid that, the solutions to that. But let's uh, review verse 37 again in, in this passage, another sad situation here. Even though Jesus performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted, and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, Jesus' glory, and spoke, spoke about him. Now this is Isaiah teaching 700 plus years before Jesus was here on earth and prophesied about this, about the unbelief of the people. Now you've got to get it in the right context because just reading that verse, it kind of throws up some red flags. And remember, I've often mentioned that we don't need to be afraid to look at and discuss and be a little disconcerted about something in the Bible. Scripture is always true. But we may have some lack of full understanding and interpretation. But the context here is, is that Isaiah was talking first about his time, but he was also prophesying about a secondary time during Jesus' time. And then, of course, all through time up until now, we have people who are just not believing. But this wasn't the first time that that, that talks about this hardening of the heart. You remember in Exodus, when Moses went to Pharaoh, and after all the things, what did it say? The scripture says God did what to Pharaoh's heart? Hardened his heart. Well, again, that causes a little problem, too. You know, is is God... Just go out there and say, okay, sorry, but you can't believe because of this or that. That's not what this is saying. Old Testament and New Testament times, the Hebrew people had this philosophy, this idea. And whether it's true or not is not so much the case, but this is what they believe. They believe that God was responsible for everything, good or bad. Now, we have a little problem with that idea of God being responsible for evil. But if you put it in the context of their thought that God was so powerful, so almighty, that he could do whatever he wanted to do, good or bad, and when he did it, it was right. But in our context, in our understanding, and I think a fuller understanding is, of that is, is that God doesn't do evil. He allows it to take place, but it's a natural consequence of human failure, not God's failure. But if you're looking at it from one side, it looks like it's God's fault. But if you look at it from the heaven side, you see it's our fault. So realize here, God is not hardening their heart, blinding their eyes, just because he's sort of an angry God. What he's doing is, is allowing their natural reactions and consequences. If you, many of you have seen this, at least you may have done some of that, 
uh, a potter with clay, moldable, you know, uh, clay that's moist and ready, and they're trying to fold, mold it into something. Well, imagine he's working with that, and then he decides to walk outside and talk, and he lays it, sits it down in the nice, hot Louisiana summer. What's going to happen to that clay? It's going to get hard. Now, did the potter make that clay get hard? Did God make that clay get hard? Eh, yeah, I mean, you could say in one sense he allowed the sun, but what happened was just the natural consequences of that behavior. They refused to believe. And so when they refused to look to Jesus, they began to look to their own scribes or laws or human issues. And so when they looked at that, they became metaphorically hardened and blinded spiritually to the things of God. God didn't make it happen. It's because they chose to step away from God's plan and God's will. That's what happens. Just like if you refuse to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are going to wind up in hell. God's not sending you to hell. That's the natural consequences of that behavior. And that's why God has set, sent Jesus, the scriptures, and everything else to kind of give us that light direction. So unbelief has been in the time of Moses, the time of Isaiah, the time of Jesus, and I think you'd agree in our time today. There's a lot of people who just don't believe. Now, I'm not going to take, talk much more about unbelief because as I know this congregation, most of you, that's probably not where you are today. There may be a couple of you here like that, and you know people. But our potential flag and problem comes from this next section, incomplete belief. And there, I'm going to look at three different ones. Let's see what this says. Now, remember, at first, it says a lot of the scribes, Pharisees, and the Jews didn't believe. But then the very next sentence, he said, nevertheless, but in spite of that, Many did believe. Okay, so that's good. Well, at least at this point it's good. And Jesus among the rulers. But, that's that word but, it's always a problem. Because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. Read that last verse with me. For they loved praise from people more than praises from God. Now, that's another sad, sad commentary. So, Unbelief is bad, and you wind up, the, the end path is, is separation from eternal hell, life and, uh, and hell. But incomplete belief is also a problem. And I hope that none of you are in this stage, but I hope that you will listen and evaluate yourself to see if there may be some vestiges or some tentacles of incomplete belief that's in your system. Because if it is, you need to be honest about it and turn that over the Lord and become authentic and genuine believers. Because what you believe really does matter. Okay, so incomplete belief here. This is the first. Remember I said there's going to be three little types of incomplete belief. Here it's the secret Christians. You know, you know there's a, I don't know, Adam, if you ever did secret church with the youth, uh, we did that when we grew up. We would go and we would pretend we were in North Korea or uh, Iraq or something, and we would go to some secret location. And 
uh, they would have set up ahead of time, usually one of the youth leaders or one of the deacons or whatever, would break in with weapons and say, you're under arrest. Now, not real weapons, I don't think. But, but they would come in and say, you're under arrest. And, you know, we kind of go through that and understand that that's what's happening around the world. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. We don't have that issue here in America. There are places, though, like our missionaries today, if it was known what they, what they were doing, they would be arrested and kicked out of the country or, and or kicked out of the country. But this is secret Christians. And some of you may have some of these, a few grains of sand of incompleteness in your spiritual life. Because, yes, you believe in Jesus and you come to church, but when you're in your schoolroom, when you're at your business, when you're at your friend's house, your neighborhood, group, it's sort of like you become a secret Christian. You're nice, and you do all the right things. You don't do anything bad, but you just kind of don't confess Jesus. Now, confess is more than just saying something. It's living it and let it be known. As Christians, we need to let it be known that we are believers. That's part of what we are to do. To not do that is incomplete. But there's a second type of incompleteness. Maybe it's not the secret Christian for you. Maybe it's this one. And this is Jesus in two other passages. So I've taken Jesus' words from Matthew. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then a few verses later, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So maybe you're not a secret Christian. Maybe you're a Look at me, hypocritical Christian. You know, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to show out. I want you to look at me. Look at all the things I do. Uh, but uh, like in the Wizard of Oz, don't look behind the curtain. Ignore the man behind the curtain. You don't want to look inside your heart and your life. Just what you say and what you put out. This, this mask, this front that so many of us put on. That's not authentic, genuine belief. It's incomplete belief. So evaluate yourself. Are you a secret Christian or are you a showboat Christian where you kind of show out the, the faith, but you don't really live it? That's not authentic. It's not helpful. But there's a third incomplete faith that we need to be wary of. And, and this one, I see this, I, well, both of these I see in today's society, but I see more and more of this now in the so-called Christian denominations and beliefs, this next problem here. And I'm picking up with Paul now. I'm going to jumping ahead to Paul, what the Holy Spirit had to say through Paul to kind of pick up this one because it ties in. Paul says, I am amazed that you so quickly are turning from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse, and the, in the Greek and Hebrew it's anathema, be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. For, I'm not trying to win the, uh, for am I now trying to win the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. 
You know, if, if you want to please people, being a Jesus person ain't the way to do it. It's just not. In this passage, it says, I'm amazed. And that word amazed is not in a positive sense. It's like just totally dismayed and disheartened. I cannot believe it. After all you've seen and heard and all the miracles, and, and by this time the, 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 the tongues of fire coming down and the, and the tongues and all the miracles and still with some healings. Remember, they would even Paul would toss the napkin, they would reach for it because they wanted to be healed. There was plenty of miracles still going on. But they began to listen to false teachers. And this is 20, 30 years at the most after Jesus. So I'm talking about from the very beginning, Satan started using other people to infiltrate and to sort of be spies in the Christian family to begin to try to see, plant the seeds of doubt and disbelief about various things. In those days, they were trying to say that Jesus had, did not really come in the flesh, that he was just a spirit and that he only became Messiah on the cross or at the baptism or he left it at the cross. and Just different beliefs. They, they, the belief, you know, in, in Jesus only or God only. It's just so many different things. And in today's world, now this has been the last couple hundred years, but the Mormons, the Mormons with Joseph Smith and his vision from angel Moroni came and gave him this different gospel that corrected the New Testament. I think that fits under here. The Jehovah Witnesses and their beliefs of various things. They don't believe Jesus is the one true Son of God and the Savior of the world alone. They believe in Jesus just like the Mormons believe in Jesus. And I'm not saying that no Mormon and no Jehovah Witness is saved. I'm just saying is that teaching that they, that they follow is not the preaching, the gospel that was preached by Jesus and by Paul. That's why I've mentioned to you that don't let your Baptist tradition, your Catholic tradition, your Pentecostal Methodist, whatever tradition, overweigh the truth and the facts of God's Word. Anything outside of God's Word, if it's in conflict with God's Word, then it's in conflict with God. And we should spew it out. Now, the Bible doesn't address everything in the world. It doesn't talk about cloning. It doesn't talk about nuclear war or th things of that nature. But there are principles that are taught there that we can, with wisdom, draw from that and make wise, godly decisions on. But I want to make sure that you take the effort, and it's a little scary to look, shine a light inside and say, am I being a little bit secretive in my faith? A little bit too much? Or am I a little bit too showboaty, a little bit too hypocritical and put one thing out here but living indifferently? Or have I allowed some other beliefs to creep in and to lessen my belief on the word of God as truth, as Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the way, and the one true God, and allow humanism and evolutionary concepts and all type of things to just fade in and to establish in our life. I hope that you haven't, but if you did and have, now is the time, this is the day for you to reject that and begin filling it with truth and light and righteousness. Okay, so 
All of these really come down to whether you're trying to please God or please yourself and other people. That's the real question. Who are you trying to please? And don't say God right off the bat just because it's Sunday. You've heard the joke before, especially your preschool and children's teacher. You know, if you ask a question, and it's always going to be Jesus or Moses or God. Who's the president of the United States? Moses! Or who founded America? You know, Abraham! You know, it's always going to be some spiritual, because you're supposed to say those type of things. But many of us are more interested in what other people think rather than what God thinks. So let me give you some, some indicators that I want you to evaluate yourself. It's a little bit of a litmus test, litmus test here to see if you are seeking validation and approval from people more than you are from God. Number one, you have a strong desire to fit in. Now, we all like to kind of, you know, be uh, acceptable in groups. But if you have an overly uh, concern about having to fit in, I've got to wear the right shoes, the right clothes, got to have my hair the right color or design, or I've got to drive the right car, I've got to say the right words and believe the right uh, certain principles or uh, espouse what the latest fad is. That's a danger sign. That's nothing wrong with, you know, kind of dressing like we do. You know, we don't dress like the Indian culture of India. You know, we, we dress like Americans. So, but watch what you're doing in uh, uh, letting other people influence you and try to fit in. Secondly, changing or softening or questioning your belief because someone disapproves. A lot of times we have a tendency when we, especially for somebody that we admire or fear or you know, just are not sure of whatever, we have a tendency to not want to be disapproved. None of us likes to be, have disapproval from somebody. I mean, unless you're just really ornery. But uh, if you are, you, you really are blessed because the world is, is pretty much that way. So you, you, you're living fine. <laughs> but if, if people disagree with you, you don't need to soften or change your opinion. That doesn't mean you need to fight back, you know, you know, like the Tasmanian devil, which unfortunately, many Christians do that. Some horrible point comes up, and there's a lot of horrible things going on in the world. But for us to lose our temper, temper, to be harsh, to be negative, to be critical, judgmental, is not the way to be salt and light. When, but when somebody comes with a false belief or something that's not biblical, you don't need to feel, if, if you feel like you need to sort of adjust because you, want to, you don't want to hurt the feelings or you want their approval, then that's a danger sign. You need to be able to stand firm. Number three, paying insincere compliments to gain approval. You know, buttering somebody up. That's a sign that you're seeking validation because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get that other person to think highly of you because you think highly of them. That's, that's uh, favoritism and popularity and it's not what God wants. If you're trying to make other people happy so that they'll be happy with you, then you may have some issues with validation problems. How about number four? Difficulty in saying what? 
No. You need to be able to say no. Now, we often tell that to our kids. You need to say no to drugs, no to alcohol, no to sex, no to abuse. That your body is yours. You say no. But we need to be able to say no to people who may ask us to participate in something that is not biblical, that is not honoring to God. To believe something that is wrong, you can say no in a nice way. Or you can say no in an angry way. Don't do that. But you need to say no in a confident and humble way to say, listen, that is not what I believe. That is not what the Bible teaches. I respect you, and uh, you, know, you have the right to believe you do, but that is not what the Bible teaches, and I'd like to share with you what I, what I believe. But you need to say no, just like you need to say yes whenever God speaks. Say no when the world speaks, for the most part. Number five, your self-worth or sense of value is dependent on the other's opinion of yourself. You're as positive and outgoing as the people tell you, as long as you're getting that affirmation. Back in the 70s, they used to talk about strokes. Give me more strokes. Give me more. Build me up. In the world of social media today, we find this. People are trying to get more viewers to watch them and do this. But it's also a form where shaming can take place. And, we, and people will do that. Uh, some of you, uh, or most of you, are probably familiar with, you may not like, but you know Tom Brady, uh, the, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. Some of you may have seen that it was on national TV and all the social media went, crowd, went wild and shamed him. Dad shamed him because he was on vacation with his little daughter he was holding hands, and he leaped off this cliff into some water. It did look a little bit <laughs> challenging down there. But, man, they just jumped on him and shamed him and, you know, and for the reason to try to make him and others conform to their belief. Social media will, will, is, is, is notorious for uh, allowing that type of behavior. If you're living for your Facebook or Instagram or whatever the other ones are, Twitter or whatever it is that, that you're living for, if you're looking for that for your affirmation, Twitter, you're going to be in sad shape. If you look anywhere else other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. Because it's only in Jesus that we have the right, proper opinion. And then lastly, subconsciously and initially, you ask yourself, now that means when you come to a situation, somebody brings something up or some situation comes up, what comes to mind? One of two things, subconsciously. Do you think, number one, what will other people think about me? Is that the first thing that you think of when something comes up? Or is it, what does God say about this? What does he think about this? Because you see, it doesn't matter what the world says. You can look at the world and it's going to hell in a handbasket. Why would you want to jump in that basket with them? People are fickle. You're up one day, down the next. You, and you can, you're famous, you're in, and then you're out. If you're 
are depending upon people, society, social media, or family and friends to be your source of affirmation, you're going to be sadly disheartened. Because it's only by trusting and listening to what God has to say and reflecting upon Jesus living within you. So these are some indications that uh, I want you to evaluate yourself. And if these are uh, in your life, then that's a problem. But it's a fixable problem. And we have a solution to that problem. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Number one, read the Bible and develop a strong sense of what God says, not others, about your value. And, of course, I've kind of addressed that a little bit, but I'm, I'm putting it in this context here. In the Old Testament, let's look at Old and a New Testament. Jeremiah 29, 11. Read that with me, please. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, that's very clear what God thinks about us. No matter what you think about the Old Testament, God being an angry God or this or that, that's not the truth of the, the Scriptures. The Scriptures is that God wants to bless us. He wants a bright future. He wants to give us hope. So don't listen to the world and don't listen to your own mind. Listen to what God has to say. And in the New Testament, it kind of, this next verse sort of kind of gives it a little bit of a twist on it to understand. It says, don't work only while being watched in order to please men. But as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. So part of this thing is, is God is saying, when you work, when you get in a relationship or friendship, whatever, don't do it to try to please other people. Whatever you do, you should do it to honor God. Christians should be, I've said this a thousand times probably, Christians should be the most efficient, effective, and wonderful employees of all. And employers, by the way. Because we're doing it not for GE or Baker Hughes or Halliburton or uh, whatever. You're doing it for God. And when you do your best, you're glorifying God in that setting. That's where you're taking Jesus with you and you're not being secret about it. You're not stuffing it down their throats, but you're making it available and let people see that there's something different about you because of God. Now, Colossians 3 sort of takes that and, and turns it just a little bit more. Don't work only for being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically or wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So again, it, it, God is telling us a little bit something different than what the world is telling us. And it's going to make a difference. What you believe, if you believe this one and the other verses, it's going to make a difference in the way you operate your business, your school, whatever. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 really is a, a, a beautiful verse that, that gives the New Testament understanding of what God thinks about us. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession." so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
That's what God says about you. You are chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're set apart. And you're his people. You've received mercy. Don't, don't listen to the world. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to your family or friends. And don't listen to your own brain. Because it'll lead you astray. Listen to what the word of God says to the Holy Spirit. And let that be your guide. Because sometimes your brain, your thought processes, have been seared, jaded, and contaminated. And we may not realize it. It's sort of like years and years ago, uh, about 1978, I believe it was, I was in Los Angeles, California. I was working out there doing mission work. And drove into town, and after a while, we just kind of got used to this yellow haze all around us called smog. Now, they've kind of cleaned it up some now. But just get so used to it. We just get so used to it, we don't even think anything about it. But you see, we are set apart. We receive mercy. We need to live in a, in, a, in, in a world that is righteous and true. Okay. Now, we've looked at number one. That's number yellow. Let's briefly finish up these. And so, This is your solution here. Number two, very straightforward, foundational. Trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and walk in his light and his truth. You will never be authentic, genuine, and follow Christ if you don't believe in Christ. If you haven't trusted him and confessed him and if you're not walking in his truth and his light, then you're not going to be authentic and genuine. It's going to be that incompleteness, that, that little stuff that's kind of infiltrating and keeping you from being all that you can be. Number three kind of flows out of that. Confess your weakness and sins to the Lord. Accept his forgiveness. We've all sinned. We all fall short. But if you confess your sins and you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. They're wiped away. They don't hold against you anymore. And I've talked about this before. Don't let the world, don't let Satan, don't let your family, don't let yourself hold those failures and those sins against you. Because God doesn't. He says, let it go. And so the solution to the problem of incomplete faith is to confess what God has to say about you and accept it. And then fourth, uh, a proactive one here is to pray daily for God to give you a proper vision of His glory and His will for your life. If, wouldn't you, doesn't it make sense that if we focus our attention on God and focus on all His glory, His majesty, and all His love for us, His knowledge and power, and how He says He loves us, He created us, He wants us to work with Him, wouldn't that give you a different attitude about life? It should. It should influence what you think, what you say, and what you do. But you need to pray for a vision of, of God and His glory and His will. And His will should reign supreme. And number five, another thing we need to do is develop friendships with Christians who are spiritually and emotionally healthy. That's one of the reasons why the church... The fellowship. Remember our three-point strategy out there of, of proclaiming God's love, celebrating God's love, and applying God's love? That center one, celebrating God's love, is worship and fellowship. It's vital and important. You need to be here. You should be here for Sunday school. Come a little early for breakfast. Get a good breakfast. And then come to Sunday school in a Bible study class. And for all ages, you need to be there. You need to be in this worship service. I encourage you to come on Sunday nights. We have service at 5 o'clock and then discipleship groups. Wednesday night we have a great time of, of Bible study, prayer, 
and discussion. We need the fellowship of the Christians. That means you need to be willing to get advice from another Christian. Too many of us get advice. I was actually counseling somebody. They weren't members of our church, but counseling somebody this week. And uh, one was accusing the other and said, well, they're always talking to their friends. And their, their friends are single and divorced. And they're, they're saying that this is what you should do. We need to be careful about listening to what the world has to say. Even your friends. Because some of your friends, number one, they may be unbelievers. They may be nice, good people. And you believe there's a God. But they, if they're not committed to Jesus... They're not going to be giving you wise advice. Now, every once in a while something comes out, you know, like a broken clock's wrong, right twice a day, you know. But eventually they're going to say something that's wise and maybe something because they've stole it from some Christian somewhere and they forgot. <laughs> but don't get advice from the world, even from family or friends, if it's not godly Christian. If they're not a growing godly Christian, you may can talk to them about something, but don't use their advice as the basis for an opinion. Of course, first of all, you pray about it. You read God's word, and you study it, and you receive that guidance, and then you talk with other Christians, and the wise Christians can kind of help you and mediate with you through the Holy Spirit, give you some guidance. But we need others to help us to stay on track, and that's why we have church. The main reason why we have church is to provide that. And then lastly, but certainly not leastly, is fill your mind with Christ. Scripture says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fill your minds with Christ. Let the mind of Christ dwell within you. That means we need to be focusing on Jesus, what he said, what he did, and what he says about us. And the principles of the word of God. That's why it's so important that you read God's word every day. And that you pray over it and you, and you ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give you insight and direction so that you can take that precious word and truth and instill it in your mind so that when somebody says something about you, ugly, not pleased with it, but okay, let it go. Because, you know, God, you know, the guy who created the world, he loves me. He sent his son to die for me. And he says I'm the, the greatest thing and loved. So uh, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? Hmm. Is there any doubt about that? But why do we listen and let other people influence? We should be responding to them with a witness of salt and light, of truth and wisdom, in a loving manner, not forcing it down their throat, not judging them, not beating them over the head with it, but lovingly coming along and with truth and light, just let it kind of ooze out from us. And it's just going to kind of, they're going to be in it, either they're going to join it or walk away from it. And either way, it's not your, 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 your part to play, but we've got to give the best. Fill your mind with the things of Christ. Okay, so let's come away, let's close it out here with this takeaway. What is the main takeaway from this scripture? What is what and who you believe matters because your decisions will determine your destiny.
it matters. It matters. It matters what road you take. As I've said this many times before, if you get on I-10 and stay on it and hit I-12, you're going to never make it to Chicago. Never going to make it to Chicago. You've got to get on the right road. Well, you, your decision which road to travel will determine where you go. God's not forcing you to heaven. He's not forcing you to hell. He just says, if you take this path, then you're going to wind up here with me in heaven. And that's what I encourage you to do. But, to be honest and truthful and factual, if you follow this other path, I'm going to do everything I can to try to ward you away from it. But if that's your decision, then you're going to wind up in that location. And you have to live with it. But that's not what I want. That's not what God wants. So, Authentic and genuine followers of Christ. That's what it comes down to. Say it with me. Choose life, choose Jesus. Believe and receive abundant, eternal life. It's up to you. It's time for you to choose. What are you going to choose? You going to choose to listen to the world and try to please the world and your own self? Or are you going to try to please God and let Jesus reign over your hearts? Well, I'd like for you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're new here to our church, this is a time where we just kind of spend a little time in reflection. Not long, but to give an opportunity to kind of process the scriptures and the things that have been said here today. And most importantly, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Christians that are here today. He's saying, I want you to be authentic and genuine. Don't let these other influences in your life seek and serve God and God alone. And be a source of salt and light, lovingly influence the community. Maybe some of you here have been saved before, but you've never been baptized in obedience. Maybe you want to come and follow through on that. Maybe you want to come join this church. Rededicate your life. Pastor Adam and I will be up here. Come. But one of the most important things is, even though it may not apply to the bulk of us here, if there's one person here, if you're that person here that you know there's a God, you know the facts, but you've never become an authentic, genuine follower of Christ. You look at it, but you've never surrendered and been born again. Today is the day for you to do that. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.